Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and Daniel Storey, the author and columnist. Liverpool define themselves by European success. Five stars on the flag and all that. Now, in case you've forgotten, you haven't, have you? They reached the Champions League final last year. Now, this may seem like heresy. In fact, it probably is. But if the Premier League is the priority, would heroic failure in Munich be the best option? Hospital pass, Darren, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think uh, they define themselves as a club capable of being able to compete strongly in both competitions. I mean, obviously the priority is the Premier League. Their grip has loosened, obviously, on the Premier League now. But I still think that they look at Bayern Munich, yeah, impressive 6-0 winners at the weekend. Uh, over Augsburg, uh, sorry, Wolfsburg. But I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, they still see chinks in their armour that they're able to exploit. And I don't think it's as tough a task trying to combine the two as some people might think. Uh, I think for Liverpool, Klopp wants them to think like the massive club that they are. And they do believe that they're capable of being able to compete on both fronts. Certainly if City can, then why can't Liverpool? Defensively, they've still got the best defence in the Premier League so far this season. Away from home, they've not been impressive in the Champions League this season. But I still do give them a chance of being able to go to Bayern Munich and give them as tough a test as they expect to. What's your assessment of, of Bayern? You know, as Darren said, you know, they won 6 0 at the weekend, went back to the top of the Bundesliga on, on goal difference? I think they're, they've rebounded better than I thought they would. I think there was a, a time this season where Kovac looked like he was still in the job because there was no obvious alternative and people within the club probably suspected that he would be moved on this summer because the, the experiment hadn't worked. They'd dropped down the Bundesliga to appoint their manager, which they hadn't done for a while. You know, They'd gone through Ancelotti and Guardiola, these stellar names, and they'd gone for a slightly different approach and it didn't look like it was working. It looked like belief had been sucked out of some of the senior players. Now, I don't know what's happened behind the scenes, but it, it certainly looks like some of those key players, those senior pros, have come together and gone, look, hang on a minute, we can save this season. We know that Dortmund will slip away at some point because they couldn't continue that relentless pace of early season, especially if they're going to try and continue in the Champions League. 
and they will consider themselves favourites. I thought I was at the game at Anfield and they defended brilliantly. Um, I think I and others, we probably underestimated Bayern a little bit in that because mm. we kind of expected, I kind of expected Liverpool to come out and really play like they did last season at home in the Champions League. But Bayern didn't let them. Uh, they've got a passer of the ball in, in Thiago Alcantara who is probably the best in Europe at doing what he does. And they're a very dangerous proposition because Robert Lewandowski does not need many chances to punish you. And, mm. and if there's one defender he would like to get the better of in Europe at the moment, mm. I suspect it's Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, 197 goals, you know, that record at the weekend, mm. uh, you know, the highest foreign scorer in the Bundesliga. So the, the class is permanent. Absolutely. Is the Liverpool defence capable of marshalling him? I think so. There are suggestions that Joe Gomez is going to be available. Obviously, the big blow uh, to the midfielder, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, breaks down on his comeback the other day, but Joe Gomez does look to be on the way. But, keep, but even without him, Van Dijk during this campaign has shown himself to be a leader. Anyone he plays with, he's able to guide them through. I was at Brighton when he played alongside Fabinho. Lots of people thought they might have to watch that one through their fingers with Glenn Murray in decent form. But I think, you know, Fabinho was terrific. And, and Van Dijk is somebody, he's improved his national team, he's improved his club side. And he gives the Liverpool side the kind of, well, certainly that defence and in turn the Liverpool team, the authority, the belief that they can go and keep it secure against any team that they come up against. So I would still fancy their chances, even though their away record in Europe is quite poor. I think Klopp's already done what he set out to do with Liverpool when he took over, which is re re-establish the authority that they once had. Obviously, they came close to win the Premier League title under Rodgers, but under after that, some people thought they'd drop away again, and he's really given them that authority again. People thought last season, you mentioned the Champions League final, people thought, well, they couldn't do it again, could they? But they looked to have every chance of being able to do that again. The weekend, the timing of the goals, the confidence and the creativity in those goals at the weekend from Mane and Firmino couldn't have come at a better time mm. because they go into the game with a lot of confidence and a warning for Bayern Munich that if they do make a mistake, they can score those decisive, potentially away goals. Mm. And there are also welcome signs that Salah is on that upward curve again. Yeah, I, I think he's been quite a long way below last season's, albeit sensational mm. best. And he was probably unlikely in hindsight, it's easy to say, but probably unlikely to ever match up to anywhere near that level. I think there are signs this season that he's either looked fatigued or just not quite there. He's a, he's a strange player in that he does something magnificent and then he does something and you think, well, that's not football league standard. You know, these very clumsy touches, which maybe he's tired, but what they have done is by moving Mane central, by saying, right, we're going to put the pressure, we're going to put the responsibility on your shoulders and Mane's flourished in that. Mm. What that's done is it's taken the pressure off Salah and I don't think there's any coincidence that as soon as that pressure's been taken off him, suddenly that belief starts wear back in because it can be very hard to feel as if you're carrying a team on your shoulders for the second or an attack on your shoulders for the second season in a row. Mm -hmm. Let's broaden the discussion a little bit to look at potential winners of the Champions League. We'll, we'll assess Manchester City in a moment. If, let's look, if we may, at Ronaldo. Bought by Juventus to win the Champions League for them. They're trailing against Atletico. How do you see that going, Darren? I think Atletico are so good and so strong defensively that it's going to be tougher than people might think. However, Ronaldo brought to Juventus uh, for these tough nights to be the difference, to be the supreme goalscorer. I think he might relish the challenge of digging them out of a hole. I think he might relish the spotlight being on him, the pressure being on him, uh, being able to prove that 
when the chips are down, he is somebody that they can rely on. Now, think about what he'd done with Portugal. It was quite an irony, actually, that Portugal went on and won the European mm. Championships without him. But I think about what he gives to his side. We talk about Virgil van Dijk and the leadership that he brings to Liverpool. Juventus are no slouches anyway with the abilities attacking-wise that they've got in that side, but Ronaldo is different class. And I think that, again, we might think this is a foregone conclusion, but last weekend's rounds of fixtures has shown us don't write any team off now in the Champions League because when you have the attacking potential that Juventus have got, you've got every chance. Yeah, because it is a fascinating Champions League this season. Mm. Let's look back to last week and, and Ajax. That is a, a, an illustration of very timeless values. Building through youth, they have to sell, sell on to mm. keep the, the financial wheels turning. Was that a bit of a throwback game, that one, the Ajax game? It was in the sense that it was basically the, the culmination of, of Johan Cruyff's vision for the club. In 2011, he came up with this Cruyff plan of reinventing Ajax because he felt that they'd lost their core values. They'd lost their, you know, we like to use the term DNA, and they'd lost that. They'd stopped trying to produce a team of total footballers. They'd stopped bringing through players from eight upwards that all played the same way. And him with, with a couple of coaches, of which one was Wim Jonk, came up with this plan that we're gonna we're gonna reinvent the system and, and sadly, tragically, that kind of fell apart in 2015 when he had his final cancer diagnosis, but the club stuck with it and you know you look at the team, I think there's seven players aged 23 and under in the in the eleven or in the fourteen they used against Real Madrid in the second leg. And yes, they will lose a couple this summer, but that's part of the process. We've said the same about, I've said the same on here about Watford. That's their process now. It's, you don't see selling players as a weakness, see selling players as a sign of strength because that means that you've done your job properly to get that player to a position where Barcelona want him. If we can do that again and do that once a year or even once every two years, the system works and, and there's enough talent. They've got enough power, enough sway in, in the Netherlands in terms of domestic young talent that there's no reason why it can't work and keep mm. working. You mentioned uh, you know, Barcelona, goalless at the moment against Lyon. Lyon did well in the group stages against City. It looks like Barca are going to win La Liga almost by default you know, because of Real Madrid's implosion. How good are they? It's one of the toughest questions you could probably have asked me <laughs> today because it's hard to quantify. We know Messi's beyond comparison now. So how much longer do you think he can do it? I think the question is how much longer will he want to do it? And I wonder if that he will continue to want to do it as long as Ronaldo is around, still doing it. Mm. I think his hunger is definitely still there. The numbers are beyond comparison. I think if he continues to do it, he could set records that will never even be matched, let alone beaten. So he is around to stay. I still think that Barcelona will look at this Champions League and see that it's there for the taking. Because as good as City are, they still there is a huge pressure on them to succeed in the competition they haven't managed to win. And Guardiola has quite clearly been brought in to do what Mancini couldn't do and, and, and everyone else. I think as far as Barcelona are concerned, Suarez is, is still got that X factor. Messi brings what Messi brings. Defensively, I still worry about them. They still can be got at if a team is brave, if a team is attacking, and if a team has the belief that they can take them apart and is ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Leon are very organised. Leon are very efficient. It's quite amazing that that, goal, that the game is still goalless. And, as I said before, given the way that last week has gone, because mm. I, I watched the Ajax game with my son, 
I thought it looked like the more romantic game. I, I'd like, and it was, I lucked out in a way because I was able to let my son see something quite special from mm. uh, Ajax, you know, the birth of this. And I hope it doesn't end up a little bit like Monaco, where, you know, they did well and everyone's suddenly, suddenly plundering them or whatever else. But it does look as though De Ligt is going to go to Barcelona and make mm. them stronger because Barcelona realise they do need that strength in, in their defence. They also need reinforcing in midfield. But the side they have at the moment are perfectly capable, not only of beating Lyon, but of going on to win the tournament. What about City? Do you classify them as potential winners, Dan? I think it's always harder to judge English teams in the Champions League than it is sides from abroad because we see so much of them. We, we see so many more of their flaws. We see what they're brilliant at, but what can be thwarted with a little bit of work. And there's no doubt in the Champions League this season that Pep Guardiola will not be happy with, with City's work. Of course, they're there and they should get through against Schalke with no problems at all. But mm, The Schalke are tanking, basically. Exactly, but, but, but though, yeah. you know, they conceded goals against Schalke, they conceded goals against Lyon. There has been, a, whether it's a mental flaw or a complacency, that Guardiola will really, really despise in his team and he'll want that to be completely removed before they play better teams because their best Champions League campaign so far was when they got the semis and they lost to Real Madrid and they were so disappointing over those two legs because they just got starstruck because they'd never played teams like that before. They'd beaten Barcelona at home in the group stage but they'd never got past a real giant and they still haven't really. We're still waiting for that from them. I, I don't think they'll win the Champions League. I don't. I think they, they are more than strong enough but I think they're they're in a brilliant place right now in terms of Premier League football because everyone knows what they're doing I was going to say do you think in a weird way that being tested the way they're being tested this season in, in the Premier League is better for them than being 16 points or so mm. clear as they were last year. Yeah, they're, the PSG option. Exactly. Yeah. I do, yeah. Uh, the, 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 yeah. They, they had no competition, so they had no real barometer for how good or how mm. badly they were doing in relative terms to yeah. the very best in Europe. I also think that there's a kind of slightly backwards thought that having lots and lots of football... We talked about Liverpool... Is it too much football then? Do they need to prioritise? I think Guardiola thinks the opposite. I think he thinks more games the better at yes, the moment. I think yeah. the more that they can get into that momentum built up like they did last season where just mm. every game, you know, they were almost winning them before they turned up yeah, psychologically. Yeah, yeah. I think he wants more and more football. I think that's what, exactly why they pick strong teams in the mm. FA Cup. I just think when it comes to it, they're still one step away in Europe. I think they probably need to get to a final yes. before they win the competition. I can't see them coming out from... Uh, from never having got to a final before and then winning it. I just think Barcelona, I think Barcelona will win it. What do you think about Pep's future, Darren? You know, there were these stories that, you know, four, agreeing a four-year contract with Juventus, really. Um, <laughs> he's himself said, look, unless they sack me, I'm here for another two years. Mm. In my mind, that means, is he going to end up managing Qatar at the World Cup in 2022? Where's it all going to end? Well, I suppose the starting point is to say that he's been unequivocal about the fact that he'll stay. But he has always been presented with these huge lucrative offers to go elsewhere. I think he would want to maybe establish a period of dominance with City if they were to somehow defy <clears throat> expectations of win the Premier League. I think he'd surely want to retain it because... What they did last season, for example, in the Premier League was fantastic. But I don't know if they'll be judged alongside the, the top Premier League teams until they retain the Premier League. No one's done it for a decade or so. And again, with the Champions League, yes, you would want to win it, 
but the big teams retain it. Look what Real Madrid have been doing. For all you say about their implosion this season, four Champions Leagues is it in the last five years? I mean, this is one of the, the this team will stand in history. And when they were writing the obituaries last week in Marco and El Pais, and and as they were saying, you know, we can't ignore what has gone before. Here lies the, the you know, and they were comparing them to some of the greats. Mm. And I think that's what Guardiola would want to surely do with City, rather than except Lukatov to ride off into the sunset. If he wins it, surely he would want to win it again. If he does that, then he can establish the club as one of the top clubs, rather than just someone who's managed to scale the mountain and suddenly doesn't really care about what happens afterwards. I was in Madrid last week and there was a very definite sense of an end of an era at Real Madrid. So there is a vacuum there to be filled. And if you look at everything about City, they're probably, in global terms, the best structured, they're going for four trophies on the pitch, and this is where the delicate issues come in. Mm -hmm. They're the subject of four separate investigations off it. Yep. Now, City have come out very strongly denying financial irregularities mm -hmm. and almost suggest that they're victims of a, you know, an organised attempt to blacken their name. But it does, the Times reports that you know, up to a dozen Premier League clubs are asking the Premier League, well, what are you doing about this? Where is the ramifications of all these football league stories? You know, 18 million separate pieces of information. Mm. What's the ramifications of that, not just for City, but the whole game? I think it's fair to say that we've all heard things about 101 clubs and 101 players and 101 agents and managers. And the only difference with football leaks is, is threefold. Firstly, is that the sheer volume of information. Secondly, the fact that it's documented, that it's not hearsay, that it's not passed on in a press room or whatever, that it's documented. And thirdly, is how the information was obtained, which is, is maybe what will slow down the investigations. Um, As City say, there's no context to it mm. and you know, they were allegedly stolen. Exactly. And City's defence on these matters has always been that they believe very strongly that UEFA FFP itself is... is not applicable is potentially illegal and I suspect that will end up being their defence if it comes to it. But yes, hearing a you know, hearing a very staunch defence from City is no surprise. That's that's yeah. part of the course. Of yeah. course it's going to be. They've been they've stayed quiet for a long, long time on this and what that was only ever going to be broken by a very staunch defence. But I suspect behind the scenes they are starting to get worried now because yeah. the, the multitude of different investigations, the four pronged investigation yeah. into them to my mind, and it's only you know it's only conjecture, but to my mind, work can only ever end in a in a ban from the Champions League for a period of time. I don't know how long that'll be, but it feels now too big to go away. I think City, for a period of time, were hoping that it was not quite big enough that it would just go away, it would just dissipate. I'm not sure at that stage now. I think we're at the stage, aren't we, where the only winners from this will probably be the lawyers. I think so. I think so, because uh, City will do whatever it takes to defend their position. Uh, and they've got every right to. And they've got every right to, indeed. And I think they came out and spoke last week because they felt that the mounting accusations, I don't want to say weight of evidence, because, as you say, these are mm. stolen documents. You know, you, 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 they would question their legality. They would question whether or not they could be used against them. So, but the mounting allegations towards them were, were causing damage to the image of the club, so they had to come out and speak about it. But the lawyers will, will cash in because I think as far as uh, the authorities are concerned, there is pressure on them 
from the other clubs, from fans, from people who are breaking these stories abroad, you know, in Germany, to say, look, what are you going to do about it? Where are we with this? And they and it's relentless. And and so from City's point of view, first of all, if they're not speaking, then they seem to be accepting that these allegations have merit. If they do speak, people turn around and say, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? So they can't really win. Mm. But what they have to do is defend their position. And I think this is going to be a long, a very acrimonious process. Let's look at um, another broader issue, which actually almost has City at, at its epicentre. Raheem Sterling, who, you know, to use your great stat yesterday, Dan, 53 goals and assists in the Premier League since the start of last season. That makes you him. Told me that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes him player of the year material. Yep. But is he more important than that? He's come out today with an interview with Rory Smith in the in the New York Times, very thoughtful about the whole issue of race within football and within society. Mm. What did you make of what he had to say? It was quite strong, wasn't it? I thought it was brilliant because people seem to forget there is no. Raheem Sully has no responsibility to be a role model. He is a kid, he's a young kid who is very good at playing football. And that, in terms of his responsibility, is as far as he needs to go. That's all he needs to do. He needs to be the best player he can be for Manchester City in England. And we've seen the best of him this season. The fact that he's managed to coincide that and blend that with also taking on this status of role model, uh, this spokesperson for what he believes is an unfairly maligned part of society, to my mind, is brilliant. I, I would have him as player of the year. If you were looking at a player who you said who has made the biggest difference to their team, I would say Virgil van Dijk. If you were saying who's made the biggest difference to their sport, I would say Raheem Sterling. Because it isn't just about goals and assists. That is a brilliant statistic and it's great that he's done it. But I think he has gone beyond that this season. And he's gone beyond that despite personal setbacks, despite the fact that he's been, you know, he has both on the field and off it, he has been maligned for either for his performances for England or for alleged personal flaws or for, for all manner of things that he feels is, is grossly unfair. And I'm, I'm, I'm hugely... It's, it's a strange word to use about a millionaire footballer, but I'm hugely proud of him. I mm. really am, because there's no obligation to do what he's done. It would be very easy to, to, to go into your shell and just say, well, in times like this, I'm just going to concentrate on my football, and that would be completely fair enough. But actually, he's done the opposite, and fair play to him for that. Daniel's spent a long time writing about the way that footballers are perceived. Um, I've been at the Daily Mirror writing about um, the, the unfair way that players are perceived. Lots of footballers, black footballers, have felt frustrated and angry about the way that black footballers have been perceived for years, decades since they started playing in the 70s in this country and had to be subjected to racist abuse from the terraces. Mm. And we keep hearing that the situation's going to change. It's going to change with education. Generation after generation is educated, in inverted commas. Still, we have the same problem. The problem has come about whether unconsciously, because, you know, we, none of us can sit here and call any of our colleagues racist. You know, I don't believe our colleagues write reports with a racist agenda. And I will say that with no compunction whatsoever. But sometimes when there are unconscious biases, when you don't come from a, a culture similar to the person you're writing about, of course you can put unconscious biases into your writing. So, for example, we had the ludicrous... And I remember watching quite a heartbreaking situation with Jason Lee 
was mocked and maligned for his hairstyle. The pineapple on the head and all that stuff. Because of no yeah. concept whatsoever about Afro-Caribbean culture and the fact that a black man can plait his hair in whatever style he sees fit. We have this ludicrous situation. I did an interview at the weekend with the Watford midfielder, Abdullah Dekora, where he talked about the fact that black players are routinely described, regardless of their technical ability, their vision, they're always described as having pace and power. And a couple of friends of mine, we have this uh, phrase PNP. You see pundits and commentators describing a player and saying, look at his pace. Look at his pace. I saw that phrase um, level that Jaden Sancho, for goodness sake, everybody has seen the vision that Jaden Sancho has. Mm. And they're using words like pace and power. You have to know the history of the language. You have to know the history of the words. You have to go back to when black players were seen in a, in a, in a one-dimensional way to realize the problem. Sterling talking about the way that the players are perceived forces us to address all of that because we are in an industry that needs to address all of that. Mm. If we're going to reflect the people that watch our content, who read our newspapers, who, you know, listen to us on the radio, we must listen to what footballers have to say. Mm. Let's not kid ourselves that Sterling is the first person to ever raise this issue, because he's not. Mm. Other players have, but they haven't been listened to. But Sterling has forced a media that's suddenly willing, because social media's giving people no place to hide, he's amplified it. So when Daniel writes about it, people now can understand what he means. When I write about it, when I talk about it, when other players write about it, when they talk about it, when Danny Taylor at The Guardian writes about it, Oliver Holt writes about it, Andy Dunn at my paper writes about it, all the people who write about it, they now understand a player's perspective of what's going on. This industry can't continue the way it's continued for as long as it has done, Michael, mm. because it's been, you know, and I'm, I'm going to say it, White middle-aged men making decisions about black players they don't understand. This industry can't continue that way because black players are looking at it saying, I don't want to be represented like that. I'm not all about the bling. If I didn't go into football, I wouldn't be a criminal. I could have gone into the legal profession. I could have gone into this. I could have gone into that. Stop looking at me down one through, through the prism of a white middle-aged man who can't understand me. Because if you don't know me, you can't judge me. Talking to people like Troy, Troy Townsend at Kick It Out last week, Les Ferdinand at QPR, there is a sense that a tipping point is just about to be reached in terms of, I want to say militancy, but it's actually players beginning to stand up for what they believe in. You know, where we, and we've seen all the, you know, the racial issues. Are we close, do you think, and I, it's something I would applaud, teams walking off the pitch because of racial abuse of their players? Yeah, probably. I think we've typically treated or mistreated footballers in as either in either one of two ways. The first is that we treat them as robots. So we say, you're not allowed to have any mental health issues. You're not allowed to break down. You're not allowed to show any weakness. You're a footballer. And as if a footballer and human being are separate entities, and that's a nonsense. The second way we mistreat footballers is that we treat them as performing circus animals. We say, your job, your role in life is not to earn a career, not to earn a crust, not to play your game, not to do what you've always wanted to do, it's to entertain us. And that's also wrong. Neither of those things are true. Um, elements of both of them are true. We expect footballers to be, you know, to, to keep fitter than us, etc. But to those extremes, that's a nonsense. And the sooner we learn that, the better. The sooner we appreciate that 
they're just like, it's just me, but he's good at kicking a ball. That's, the, that, that's all it is. Then at that moment, we will stop, I hope we will stop some of the incidents we're seeing that dehumanise footballers because it's just not fair. And, and, and at some point they will say, do you know what? Whether it's strike action, whether it's walking off the pitch, they'll say, hang on a minute, we've had enough of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I, I got into a debate with John Barnes because John Barnes disagrees with me and John Barnes feels that you should carry on. But we're in a different era now. John Barnes, very dignified, an icon in this game. But I'm sorry, if you do what you always do, you get what you always get. And we are in a situation where players now are no longer prepared to get what they've always got. They're empowered. That you would not go to work and stand for it if you were abused or whatever else. There was conduct towards them they found unacceptable. They wouldn't stand for it. Why should black footballers? And I think Sterling's spoken. Lukaku's spoken about his representation. And I think other players will speak as well because we have a movement now among these players who feel empowered they will mobilize themselves they will speak we saw kind of rumblings of it a few years back when there was a kick it out t-shirt protest mm. we saw rumblings of it and big rumors about black players forming their own players union and that kind of died a death because people came together and said okay we'll listen to what you've got to say has there been progress no that's why we are where we are and i think that Two things you said earlier, because I rambled so much, I, I didn't <laughs> so mention them, but Danny Rose spoke about mental health last year, right? Mm. Now, men don't speak about mental health. I thought when you're talking about people's sports personality of the year, these are men who should be in, in the frame. Yes, obviously for their achievement, but then Danny Rose was part of that England squad. But that was brilliant use of the platform of an Abs England World Cup. Mm. Absolutely. And then you've got Raheem Sterling talking about an issue White people, as well as black people, feel strongly about. This isn't just a black thing. We feel strongly mm. about this. It's time to give these guys, not just patronise them, or it's time to listen to what these guys are saying and, and start to realise that if we want change in our industry, mm. these are the guys who we should be promoting to be able to, mm. to, to affect that change. The use of the word patronise is great there because the best thing about Raheem Sterling is that I would happily compliment Raheem Sterling a million times to atone for what he feels he's, you know, the treatment he feels he's been the recipient of. But actually, we don't need to. There's enough there in terms of the goals and assists record. We just, we just praise Raheem Sterling for being a brilliant footballer, Absolutely. and that, that's all he wants. That's all he wants to be judged as is how good am I at football? Mm. If you think I deserve praise for that, praise me. If you think I deserve criticism, criticise me. But only criticise me for football. Don't make it into a something it's not. Something that you you transpose onto me. Mm. Don't do that. And that's that's why it's so that's why I would have him as player of the year to end where I started. Yeah. Let's look at the context of the abuse that, that Sterling receives and the almost like the culture that that represents. We've had a weekend where there have been three separate incidents of fans coming onto the pitch. Tavernier uh, up in Scotland, um, most notoriously Jack Grealish and uh, Chris Smalling at Arsenal being uh, confronted by an Arsenal fan. Where are we with that problem? What does it say about our society, not just football? Because it's a much bigger thing than football, isn't it? It was interesting. When the Sterling thing happened, I wrote a piece basically saying that we are knee-deep in a media culture that emboldens racists. I think we're knee-deep in a media culture that emboldens the kind of behaviour we saw yesterday. Brexit, divisive rhetoric, all that kind of welcoming of an extreme opinion on social media 
people feel empowered. It's almost a mutation of that extreme opinion when you go to watch a football match. I've attacked him on Twitter. I'm going to have a go at him. And when, you, when the guy was brought off and the people who are cheering, you know, that's the equivalent of likes and retweets on Twitter. <laughs> I think that it's a... We right now are in a very dark place for football because that's three incidents in three days. That's just... You reeled off the tip of your tongue. Mm. Then you, if you look at it in a wider context, the racist chanting at the Millwall-Everton game, the fighting between the fans outside the Everton and, and Millwall fans who met to... And that was a throwback to the 70s. I mean, mm. this madness. Then you've got the incidents involving Raheem Sterling and the other players who have been uh, racially... And you're only talking about the top division. What about the ones in the lower division, the players who don't have the profile enough to matter? to get to the public consciousness. So football is infected by a virus at the moment that it doesn't know how to control. And what we're seeing over the, and we'll see over the next few days, loads of people will come out and say, bring back fences, bring back this, do this, do that. The reality is football doesn't have a clue how to deal with this issue. Mm. To my mind, the problem comes from a complete legitimization of, of the issues in itself. Yet again, you mentioned fences, that was mentioned yesterday. People also said, oh, stewards aren't good enough. And I think, well, no, they're not good enough. They're paid £7 an hour at Premier League level uh, to monitor probably on average, let's say, 500 people each. You wouldn't want to walk into a mob, would you? No, it's impossible. Well, of course not. And, but, but as long as football in general can attack the symptoms and try and stop the symptoms or push down the symptoms rather than actually curing the disease, it's not going to go away. The, uh, the only answer particularly given the, the funds the Premier League has, is to try and cure the disease. Because if we don't, all we're going to do is just put a, put a mask over it yeah. for a couple of years, hope it dies down, and then in a couple of years when it happens again, we go, oh, this hasn't happened for a couple of years, wonder what's going on. Absolutely, it, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you, you made that point about the stewards. I've got a brother-in-law who, who's been a steward, and if he were in the situation, for argument's sake, that um, Sterling, Sterling's there, the fans are, are shouting their racist abuse at him, and people say, there's a black steward right there. I wouldn't expect him to go and, and confront those guys who could lamp him. I wouldn't expect it, not for seven, eight pound an hour, not for 20 pounds an hour. Mm. You know, it's not his job. His job is crowd control, not law enforcement. And when you're in that situation, you see the aggression, the hate. Look at an image of those guys. You know, look at what happened on Saturday. You even saw images of some stewards getting involved. I mean, these are situations that... Football needs to look at. We saw the Battle of London Stadium and fans running onto the pitch at West Ham mm. to attack the director's box. It's a mess, and I, I think you're right. We need to treat the mm. disease because mm. I think if we can treat the disease, we've got a chance. At the moment, I'm, I'm quite pessimistic. Football needs to understand that it. <laughs> the Premier League is probably Britain's greatest export. Football is one of our big success stories. It has to understand that it has a place not just as football but as society in general. It can lead the way on things. Mm. It doesn't have to reflect society. It no. can say, actually, we're going to take this forward. We're going to use our profile. We're going to use the fame. We're the ones that can actually lead this agenda. We don't mm. have to be the ones playing second fiddle all the time. And I hope it does that. I'm not particularly confident that it will, but I hope it does. I hope this doesn't sound too trite, because we'd better get back to football. <laughs> <laughs> um, Europa League, I think we can probably take as read that Chelsea, mm. you know, despite being quite fortunate probably to have that draw against Wolves yesterday, will be OK uh, against Kiev. Mm. Arsenal, 3-1 down against Rennes. Mm. Uh, definitive test? 
Yeah, I think they may well have taken Wren a little bit too lightly. I think the defensive problems that have been affecting them all season uh, came back to haunt them in France. Uh, they always appear to have a mistake in them, no matter how emphatically they can win a football match, which made it all the more surprising that they were able to keep a clean sheet against a very potent and, and resurgent Manchester United side. It's quite interesting, after the game yesterday, Bernd Leno was saying, now we've got to focus, because other teams are waiting for us to make mistakes in the top four, and Wren must not be taken lightly. So the message has got through to the players. Uh, he was terrific, of course, against Manchester United. But I expect Arsenal to come through this now. They can see that they've got an opportunity. They've also got two chances to get to the Champions League, one via the Europa League, courtesy of a guy who knows how to win the Europa League, mm. and the other in the... Premier League, courtesy of their improved form and two good results against Spurs and Manchester United. Ironically enough, I worry for them in the Premier League, but I think they've got every chance of winning the Europa League with Unai Emery uh, at the helm. Mm. How do you see the top four shaking down, Dan? Because we obviously, you know, Tottenham win one point in four, Manchester United, I didn't think they played that badly at Arsenal, actually, mm. to be honest. You've got Chelsea in the mix. Where is it all going? I think Tottenham might struggle. I really do. If you look at the fixture lists, um, they've still got to go to Manchester City, they've still got to go to Liverpool. There is clearly going to be, given the energy levels, there's going to have to be a prioritisation. And having got to the Champions League quarterfinals, it would be particularly backward if, if Pochettino decided to focus on re, you know, re-entering the Champions League. I think he will pile his eggs in that basket. I think he has to now. Manchester United... Probably the same. They've, they've not got easy fixtures. They've still got to play Chelsea. They've still got to play Manchester City, both at home. They've got to go to Wolves. They've got to go to Everton, where they sometimes struggle. So I think that'll be a huge test of them. And, and Chelsea, I can't work out. But I honestly, think <laughs> Arsenal, I honestly think Arsenal will finish in the top four. I really do. Emery's had a strange season in that he's not been without significant criticism from Arsenal fans mm. as well. Partly, I, I suspect, because they're kind of hardwired to, to <laughs> doubt change, the club at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, on, you know, they're taking two points a game. They're on course for 76 points. That would be their highest total. They've beaten that once in a decade, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I think the soft centre away from home has clearly not been corrected. Yeah. And, and I think it will take a great deal of investment and probably time, given the funds that they have in each window. Mm. But I think he's done a pretty good job and, and absolutely rightly says they have the Europa, the Europa League expert in charge. So I think they will beat Ren 2-0 or 3-0 on Thursday night, which sounds very patronising to a side they've just lost to. But if they play properly and they defend properly and they keep 11 men on the field, then they're a better side than Ren. They really are. What about the FA Cup quarterfinals this weekend? Let's start with... Um, you know, I think it's probably the tie around Wolves against Manchester United. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the position where he could actually win a trophy? Yes. Before he even gets a job? <laughs> if I was in a quiz show, I'd have been disqualified now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I think that he's restored. Listen, this whole debate about whether or not he should get the job. I'd be staggered. I think he's at the stage where if he doesn't get a job, it would be an outrage, really, because yeah. he's done everything they've asked of him and more. And when you consider where he was when they took when he took over, 11 points off the top four, 13 points off the top three, now he's just three points behind. He's done a magnificent job. Energise the fans, energise the players, getting the best out of them. I don't think this is a bounce. I don't think this is a honeymoon period. I think he is bought into the spirit of the club. He's brought that spirit back. And on that basis, I think they will go... Two Wolves, at Wolves, yeah? Mm. 
with the total belief that they can win that match. Because the way he talks about United is that we are a club in the business of winning things. We are a club that should be winning things. Not we are a club that hopes we might get over the line or hopes we might this or that. We believe we should be winning FA Cups. And I think at this stage, I, I would not bet against them winning the FA Cup. Uh, the Wolves, listen, I've written off Wolves a couple of times this season. When they went to, before they went to Spurs, I did their previous game at Fulham. And I asked, you know, you know how are you going to deal with Harry Kane? <laughs> they went and beat Spurs. <laughs> and then I thought they'd beat Chelsea yesterday, I, I th you know, at Stamford Bridge. I thought it'd be routine. Chelsea masters of their top four destiny. Chelsea managed to scrape a draw. Don't listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> no, we do, mate. We do. No, all, all, I, all I would say is that as far as Wolves are concerned, they are there to be respected. Uh, Nuno's got them well-drilled, well-organised. United will see an opportunity to win the FA Cup. Nuno will see an opportunity to win an FA Cup. And he will say to his players, you know, we can, we've taken, pulled off big results against big, big teams in the Premier League so far this season. There is nothing to fear from Manchester United at all. I think you're right. This is going to be... It's tied around, and I, I could see it going either way, but I think Manchester United will win it and go on and win. Yeah, you see, I, I really like the way that Nuno has mm. attacked that job. And okay, he's had great resources, and you know, the strategy is pretty obvious to anyone yes. that the, they want to establish themselves as just outside that top six, yep. and then before moving on. What particularly strikes you about his management style, Dan? I think the, the George Mendes links is a is a very easy kind of facade to what's going on at Wolves because if you if you look at the improvement outside of those Mendes players, you know, Jao Martinho has been good, Ruben Neves has been good, Rui Patricio has been good, but actually they've probably been about as good as we thought they would yeah, be. Absolutely. It's the improvement in Matt Doherty, in Connor Cody, in you know even players like Romain Sice who come into the team mm. and not been in the team all season suddenly they're performing better. That says to me that that's a manager that really, really yes. knows how to motivate players and, ha and also how to get... It would be very easy in that Wolves squad to have cliques. It would be very easy to have players that went, well, I'm a level above you, so I'm just going to keep and do my own thing. From everything I hear, he's got everyone together yeah. and they're all moving in the same direction because you cannot, however strong your squad is, you cannot finish seventh in the Premier League no anymore in your first season in the Premier League unless everyone is on the same page. And Yeah, he's been seriously impressive. Earlier in the season, I kind of half-jokingly touted him as the successor for Mourinho at Manchester United, but that will not happen no. now with the Solskjaer thing. No. But he he will have... If he wants to have ideas on big jobs, then he should be discussed for them because he's done a phenomenal job there outside of the Mendes links. The, you know, Matt Doherty is the poster boy of that. Mm. You know, uh, With no disrespect to him, a kind of jobbing Wolves right-back has yes. been turned into this brilliantly effective, energised right-wing-back. And... Yeah, he's a, he's a seriously impressive bloke. We sometimes make the lazy assumption that if you're presented with a lot of money or a collection of very good players, the job's easy. And it's not. It's knitting it all together. It's maintaining that cohesiveness. It's improving the players that aren't as celebrated as the ones that you've already got. And he's managed, if you're asking how he attacked that job, that's how he has attacked that job, by making sure the other players with the profile they can reach the limits of their potential, maybe exceed them, but also knitting it together and making sure that they're consistent enough to have a hand in the latter stage of the season. I think this would be absolutely within what they had envisaged for the club. And I just wonder if, if they were to get into latter stages, maybe even, you know, for all the Wolves fans watching, win it, 
going to a transfer market in the summer and suddenly the options of players available to them increase. A, because obviously the contacts, but B, because they've got a, a, the chance of European football as well. I think that with Nuno, they have made giant strides and he probably is their most important signing. What about Watford, Dan? In terms of being credible dark horses in this competition, should we be paying more attention to them? I think I've said on here before, I think they're the, the best-run club in the Premier League at the moment in terms of they've, they've basically ripped up a model that was not questionable but certainly questioned in terms of their contacts and this kind of satellite club loan system. Like Udinese, Granada, exactly, et cetera, yes. et cetera, yeah. And they've done a mini Ajax. They've said, right, we want to, we will buy players rather than developing them, but we will buy them at cheaper than everyone else's. We will develop them. We will use a, probably the best... I think probably the best scouting and recruitment network outside the top six at the moment in the Premier League. Uh, and we'll better, sell them. better than most within yes, the top six. Absolutely. And they've said again, selling players is a strength. If if you know if Decore want PSG offer the right money and he wants to go there, fine. We'll find another Abdullah Decore. We'll make it work again. Yeah, they've they've got Palace at home, which they will consider as winnable. They rested players at the weekend, you know, we Poor Javi Gracia got stick for resting players against Manchester City, having got stick for uh, resting players in the FA Cup. So we can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's clearly got one eye on the FA Cup, and why shouldn't he? He, mm. he? he got them in a position where they were safe at Christmas. So this is their chance of a trophy. I think that's such a good point, you know, because in recent seasons, they've dropped like a stone after they've got safe. Mm. And, and they've had that reputation as being a second half of the season. You know, everyone's got their cigars and, and, and their sandals out flicking through their travel brochures. Uh, but now they're a side that are strong in the latter stages. When I spoke to Decor the other day, he said, there's competition for every place now. Training is tougher. The approach is more determined. We're much more professional. Javi Gracia, when he came in, another, a lot of people thought he was another fall guy. No mm -hmm. real celebrated name or, 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 or fanfare about him. He's now become the longest person to have that job, I think, for seven or eight years. Yeah, it's Bothro, Boothroyd, I think, mm. yeah. That stability is helping the players because so many of them are, are, are finding themselves. It's interesting at the weekend, you know, it's not really got a second look, but that Sterling first goal that went against Watford, if that were the other way around, we'd still be talking about it now mm. because it's what, but it's Watford and they don't have that profile, they don't have that name, and it doesn't really matter. And everyone's tired from talking about offside decisions from a few <laughs> days after Harry Kane last week. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think as far as Watford are concerned, all the things that da Daniel said, you know, absolutely. And I think they would be a great story if they were to win uh, the FA Cup because of the work that they'll put in, because of the story behind Javi Gracia, and because of the improvement that he's managed to get out of those players. Mm. Look, very briefly, we could have had two other games. I think most people would expect Manchester City to deal with Swansea. Mm -hmm. Millwall, Brighton, is that a game that actually both teams could do with losing, given their, their, their <laughs> problems with relegation? Yeah, probably. I mean, Chris Houston said before the last round, we're going to use, conversely to the common consensus, said we're going to use FA Cup form to try and kickstart our league form because they'd lost, I think they'd lost five in a row before that. And obviously, you know, they, they won away at... Palace at the weekend. That's a fantastic result for them. The way results fell, it was also a necessary result for them. Oh, yes. I think Millwall will fancy it. I really do. I think this is this is the one. Wolves United, hard to call, but I would agree with Man United. This is the one where I think toss a coin because if there is a, if there is a, a, a reputation for Brighton, it's that they're quite a nice club. Yes. It's that they're well run. It's that they're well meaningful. It's that everyone has a nice time and and they do good things and they're a pleasant club. Now Millwall will know that as well, and they will also know. Hang on a minute. If we get into these, and I don't mean 
huge physical treatment, I just mean being up for the mm. game, and they score first, they will think, hang on a minute, we can get to Wembley again here. And, you know, Millwall are the great FA Cup overachievers. Mm. Uh, I think that, I think I'm right in saying since the start of the season when they got the final, they've been in more FA Cup quarterfinals than Liverpool, Millwall, which is mm. astonishing. You'll like it, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I, I, I think this is the upset potential. OK. Your last final four, both of you. Well, I, my final thought, for once, it can't really be about the football. I think the image of football is taking a battering at the moment. And I think it's incumbent on, on all of us, as, on us as an industry, yeah. to look at the problems behind it and, and, and see if we can find solutions. Because yeah. right now, we're, we're in trouble. Here, here. I'm also asking for your final four. Oh, my final four, forgive me. Uh, my final four, um, Manchester United, Millwall, I think I agree with you on that one, uh, Watford and City. Yeah, same, it's full house, exactly the same to me. Well, I think Wolves under Nuno might just do for United. As for the rest, I'll go for City, Watford and Millwall. <laughs> Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.